possible Bruce Buffer impersonation. The two biggest clubs in the AFL will be facing off this weekend, as will one of the best clubs in the AFL era against one of the worst up until the last four weeks. And with me tonight to break down all the funnels action and hopefully tip us bulk winners is Mr. Funnels himself, Brian Barrel Randall. How are we doing, Baz? Good, mate. That's an interesting uh, little introduction you got going there, mate. Uh, it's just a lot of time this week. There's not many games to analyse, so uh, no, no, there's, there's definitely some time to play around with some uh, different well. things. You've done well. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I know you, obviously as you should be, Mission Sports should be very confident. I'm a bit more, I was told I was negative today, but I'm just a bit more realist, I think. Yeah. Um, understand where we're at as a club and where Richmond are at, and yeah. So we'll talk a bit more about it a bit later, but yeah, no, it's uh, an interesting week, and I'm working in Richmond tomorrow, right near the precinct. So it'd be, oh, lovely. it'd be interesting to see with obviously got Melbourne Storm playing tomorrow, yeah. and uh, Billy Slater's last game in Melbourne, and we've also got Richmond coming up playing tomorrow night as well. That at precinct area around the Swan Street is going to be pretty yeah. packed. It'll be depending on how you, what your personality is and how you are in confined spaces, either beeline there because it'll be a great atmosphere, or stay well away. Because you're probably going to have a bit of a mental breakdown if you well, don't I was like thinking, I was actually just thinking, I might nick off work a bit early. hope my boss isn't listening. Might nick off work a bit early. Might skip lunch even and just get out early because it could be chaotic around 3, 3.30 yep. on tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I reckon most of the city will be empty by about 3. Yep. And it'll all be in Richmond. Packing it down, popo everywhere and just enough, enough alert wherever you go. But uh, that's what Files Police is all about. It's it good is. to see. It is. It's good to see. A lot of banter going on around as well and... Richmond supporters are quite confident, almost arrogant. And the Collingwood supporters are being their typical nuffy selves, which yeah. is good to see. So, And don't forget about Melbourne fans as well. Oh, have they... Where, where I've, have never they... Heard, I've never heard a club sook up so much about how to get to Western Australia and why the flights were so expensive and why aren't any more tickets available when that club is notorious not even showing up to their own home games. I was going to say, I didn't know there was that many Melbourne supporters. They've got less supporters than, than Carlton, like memberships. They've got mm. like 30 or 40,000 members. So. All of a sudden, everyone's, Where everyone's found from? their blue and red scarves. Where did they come from? Even Paul Roos said before that on uh, the front part, his kids are actually happy to wear the Melbourne jumper back to school. So obviously, obviously, you know, closet supporters, and now they you know, turn good all of a sudden. They're on the bandwagon but I'm not quite on yet not on uh, yet don't jump on that plane don't follow Sportsbet out west it's not time yet (laughs) 
Alright, before we preview the big weekend of footy, it's time for everyone's favourite game. Was it a massive collect or a bad beat? Looking at last week's uh, semi-finals and also a couple of teams that may have to re-evaluate what they're going to do going forward. First off, Friday night, Hawthorne 71 was defeated by Melbourne 104. First things first, we'll do a little bit of chat about the Demons because they did win the game. They won it very convincingly. And as such, punters are coming in for Melbourne already. There's been a massive... Uh, drawing in of the line already as well. Are Melbourne now officially the best team the AFL left? No. I reckon they were pretty lucky last week. A few injuries, obviously, out for Hawthorne with Stratton and O'Meara, but Hawthorne were probably the better side for two, two and a half quarters. Just could not capitalise. Feel like Richmond the week before had their chances to stay in the game, put scoreboard pressure on. They missed easy chances with Burgoyne and Bruce in, in week one. You know, Gunston you know, misses that snap. I know that snap. There was a few other opportunities they had. They had a lot of the ball inside their forward 50. And it was the first time... I know Melbourne are playing this you know, manic pressure, surge the ball forward and you know all that sort of stuff, and it's great to watch. But for the first time, I noticed a bit of lack of composure with their ball use, and that's what you know Hawthorne set up really, really well for it. And if they play a bit like that against West Coast, they'll get blown out of the water, A, because West Coast forward line is much more functional, and B... Uh, West Coast have the better foot skills and probably better players. As Hawthorne, you know, people have been talking about them all week, you know, since the season's done about, you know, what they need to do and improve. Obviously, they need to buffer up their midfield because... They've got two blokes, they're too, right? They're too reliant. They've got a few young blokes there as well. But, uh, yeah, they also need to really look for another forward option to help help out, you know, the, down there in the forward line. Whether Sicily goes back or whether O'Brien has another year and, you know, starts to show something, I don't know. But, yeah, they just need to sort that out for them. But I reckon it's still a pass mark for Hawthorne, but obviously the fixturing helped them. But they still had to get the job done, unlike Port Adelaide, who didn't. Mm-hmm. Finished top four, you know, they pushed Melbourne, a bit unlucky, injuries. They'll be back, I reckon. They'll be around, you know, five to ten next year as well in that, in that mix. And a little bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek comment here, but do you think... Jack Gunston's smashing at the post was a drop the ashes moment. Do you think if he had to kick that goal, they they go on to win that game? Oh, I don't know about dropping the ashes. I mean, there's other opportunities. You shouldn't you should be focusing so much on that. Like, yeah, it was a crucial time in the game. You got to take opportunities on it. But I still think that there was other points in the game where Hawthorne would be kicking themselves. But you know, obviously that's the one that the media grabs and goes with. And it was a was it you know they Melbourne down the other end kicked the goal straight away. So yeah. Obviously, it looks bad, but yeah. I think there was other things in that game that really cost them. And again, like some of the young players, you know, found the pressure a bit wanting, and they will learn from that and improve. And then you got some of your key players. You know, Bergon was playing with broken ribs, but probably didn't have his best two games. You know, Bruce went missing, and you know, I've seen a few, um, a few images on. I think it was on the Footy Show on Sunday Footy Show or Game Day, whatever it was, about how, or even might have been the couch, but how poor his last three final series have been. So, you know, there's a few players there that obviously need to step up as well who are leaders in that club. So, but, you know, again, if you go through what we, everyone thought they were going to do at the start of the year, mm. them and Kangaroos have, you know... They're definitely a, couple, yeah. definitely a couple of years ahead of where we thought they were. Yeah. And we'll find out, I suppose, next season whether that was... This is like a little mini spike before they go back to where they probably, in inverted commas, were meant to be this year or whether they can build on that. And knowing Alistair Clarkson, knowing his squad there, they'll probably just build on that. They'll, yeah. be, they'll be back in the finals they'll as be, per usual. They'll be very active in the trade period. And much like Sydney, they'll be very active in the trade period. And you can't see them dropping off for long. 
All right, the second game, which he would have loved as a Collingwood enough enough. Collingwood 69 defeated the Giants 59. And as a neutral, this was one of the most painful finals to watch in recent time. Just plenty of errors. And yeah, it was it was wet early, but the G it wasn't raining during the game and the G dries out quite quickly. So I don't think you can use that. First quarter, definitely be a bit wet underfoot and the ball would be a bit slippery. But that continued on through the whole thing. And again, just it seems this final is that one team will not be able to kick a goal. As we have all, we'll have all the possession, and we just won't be able to put teams away. Was it a positive, though? However, that Collingwood won a game ugly. Oh, positive as we won, but we should have really smashed them. That first quarter was probably some of the most frustrating uh, football I've seen as a Collingwood fan because we dominated. Our poor, poor use going inside fifty. Uh, uh, everyone talks about how poor Jarius was exiting the defence mm. with their foot skills and how much they panicked, but. We were pretty poor going inside and didn't take a lot of opportunities and probably rushed a few opportunities, but that's the pressure of finals football. Was it a good win? Yeah, it was a good win in the end because we, we stuck it out and won. We could have easily folded, especially when they hit the front and they got their game going. You know, they, they Second quarter, they definitely started to possess the footy a bit more and slowed it down and you know stopped our quick play movement, which we didn't see again until the last quarter where the first couple of minutes you saw Collingwood just get the footy and the first thing they did was handball someone on the run. They just played on all costs in that last quarter and it, Opened up the game again and it got us back on top. It was the second and third quarter. GWS smashed us around the contest and we were able to slow the game down and you know stifle our ball movement, which you know, that's why they got back in the game. But just some real you know, fundamental selfishness, I think, from probably a couple of players. When GWS did uh, Jeremy Cameron rush a few shots. I think he kicked two or three out in a full from 50 where he just took the mark and blazed away. Mm. And yeah, A few other players, obviously missing Kelly didn't help, but obviously had a lot of injuries throughout the year and a lot of injuries in the finals. And, you know, I've heard a lot on, during the week is why did uh, Tagoe get Bunton and then, you know, Hine didn't get, you know, Davis or, or a better... Surely they had a better matchup. They just mm. didn't go to him. Obviously, it doesn't help when the ball was coming in that way as well because it doesn't matter who you are when the ball was coming in like that. You're not going to be able to, to stop it. So, JWS, uh, you know, I think if uh, the reports are true, they're a million to two million over the cap next year. So, you know, Lobb and uh, Shield are the ones that have been rumoured to go out. I don't think they can bring anyone in. They obviously need a ruck one if they lose Lobb. And I know he doesn't he doesn't like rucking, but uh, they've only got one ruck, and that's Dawson Simpson, so they've also got to get someone in. Mm, as backup. So you touched on a couple of points there, which are some of the questions I had for you. Uh, first one, you've been on the Jezza-Tex Walker kind of comparison train all year. Is Jezza in his own head? I'll tell you right now, if I was Jerry West, I'd look at Lobb as a potential forward ruck. And where Jeremy Cameron is, I'd be trying to shift Jeremy Cameron out, not Lobb. Yeah. Because A, you'd probably get two first rounders for him. They've got plenty of key position players. You know, obviously, they're injured, but plenty of key position players. They've got some good players coming through that can play forward. Um, and you look at the, the modern four line at the moment, you need to be, you probably can get away with having one key forward and, one, and a couple of medium sized forwards. You look at Collingwood, uh, Melbourne, uh, Richmond, you know, the case going for, well, even Adelaide last year. You know, it's small fours you know, built around one or two big blokes. They probably can afford to let him go. And like I said, I get two first round draft picks for him easy, mm. and they can rebuild. They're going to get they got probably good picks this year. They'll lose Shield anyway. They'll probably get another couple of good picks in for that. It's a good draft to be rebuilt, like, stocking up in. And they've still got plenty of talent on that list. Don't like plenty of talent. They just need to get it right. The injuries and you know, I mean, we saw how good Toby Green was two weeks ago. You obviously had second up Blues this time instead of first up. But yeah, I think that. They're still good enough. You know, we saw that blue collar stuff 
again in the, on, on you know the weekend just gone that they, they can do it now it's just uh, more going forward whether they're going to have that talent because they're obviously going to lose a few players mm. and how long it's going to take for the the kids underneath them to step up. So again, you mentioned the blue collar ethic, and that was what we kind of commended Leon Cameron for earlier in the season. But then you also mentioned in your bit of bit of your post match spiel there that the matchups were kind of a bit skew with and a bit strange to an outsider. Are we convinced that Leon Cameron is a good coach, or if not a good coach, the coach to take them to a premiership? Uh, I don't know yet. I th- I've still have my doubts on him. Like you see when because he was severely outcoached in that game. Like him very compared to Buckley. Buckley. Again, is always tweaking. Buckley's never left wanting being like, I should have done something. He'll go, I'm going to try it, and then I can at least say, oh, maybe we did too much. But he'd rather do too much than too little. Whereas I think Cameron's very much a set and forget. Like, they're the players going in this position, cool. I'm playing two behind the ball all the time. Well, Davis didn't really have a matchup because uh, Keith had cocks. So why couldn't you push Davis forward to give him something? Or, you know, you see when Ngoi has a quiet game up forward, for like a quiet quarter or two up forward. He goes and pushes into midfield. Toby Green didn't get a touch. So why don't you push it up into the midfield? You see, you know, Bucks put still sideboard on Trelaw, wherever else, push him down forward and use another midfield rotation or put him on a wing or something like that. But there was just none of that from... Yeah, from Cameron, from yeah. Cameron, you know, left Taranto on, on sideboard for so long and sideboard had a field day. And, you know, Whitfield was probably their best player, but, you know, Williams didn't get involved. Just, just try and try a different, few different things, but you didn't see any of that. And, you know, in a game where... You know, they're obviously already down and they're getting smashed. Maybe it's probably time to. You know, I reckon there's a few other coaches that would have tried a few things. So anyway, that's it's still to be decided on. And I suppose we'll know. I reckon there's a couple of coaches next year that'll be under pressure uh, early on. And I think this, uh, Chris Scott from Geelong, and then yeah, Leon Cameron are probably two. That Ross Lyons probably another one. And then the last question, obviously, will be uh, the hyphens comments we we touched on a couple of weeks ago. And then all this chat this week, especially when you've got teams like Collingwood, Richmond, well, all four really, West Coast and Melbourne in the prelims, they're all big, proper clubs. So Collingwood, Richmond, West Coast have massive fan bases. We just mentioned beforehand that Melbourne has a massive uh, incognito or closet fan base. Yeah. And they all play for the club. You hear all these teams being like, it means so much to our fans, it means so much to the history of the club. How does, how does GDOS fix that when you have players leaving it with another tongue-in-cheek when they say it, saying, when I was playing there, it had no culture. We weren't playing for anyone but ourselves. Is that something you can fix? And if, if that's the case, if you can't fix it, where does it leave Giants and Gold Coast going forward? If players... Because ultimately, you play, you play for premierships, you play for yourself or cash, I suppose, but you also play to be part of something bigger. Yeah. And if you can't get two of those three things... And why would you go play at those two clubs? Well, it's a young club. It's a fledgling. So it's, obviously, that's a bit hard to build culture. But it's up to the leadership group, really. And obviously, coaching staff. I think Davis is a great captain. I think he's a pretty good player. But I think one thing that hurt me a bit about his post-match um, interview was he said that, oh, I felt sorry. He, he, he was very selfish about after the game, like about how he felt. You know, you had Ryan Griffin retiring. his teammates down. As a captain, he needs to get around those boys and you know, get Griffin up and, you know, should have tried. I think a few players did, but did he? Griffin knocked it back about you know, riding cheering off, off yeah. cheering off. He should be getting around his players and stuff. It took him 15, 10 or 15 minutes before he worried about his players. And he only admits that, and that's great for him to say that. And he actually said, you know, I'll probably stuff that up. And that's good. It's honest feedback from you know his own criticism, which you know, I applaud. But that's probably something they got to look at because, yeah, they need a strong leadership group to build that culture. And 
it's funny how quickly things can change if you get the right culture. And, you know, pe- people can talk down culture and stuff like that, but it does have a massive effect on how things happen and belief. And, you know, you even read today about Simon Goodwin, he, he got the, after that whole boot camp thing, he got all the boys in and just told him his life story. And, you know, it's not a great... No, it's not something... Yeah, yeah you want to be sharing. sharing, but sharing yeah. It's like he's making himself vulnerable, asking his players yeah. to do the same. And the players are like, oh, that's courageous and stuff. And, you know, they obviously don't... They, they play for him, don't get me wrong, but they're not doing this for him. I think no. they're doing it for themselves. But also this helps them build that relationship, that person... You know, they all feel personal now with him and stuff like that. So whether... I don't know whether the coaching... I don't know anything behind doors at Jerry S, but, yeah, like, that sort of stuff. It's pretty basic sort of things. And it's not... It is hard, but it's not hard to do as well. You just need the right players, and I think they've got someone like Davis Coniglio. Um, you know, I think Haynes is a pretty good bloke. You know, he's sure, like as much as crap he cops, he he's a good leader, and he can get the boys around each other and stuff. So you, I think they've got the nucleus there. It's just whether they actually want to do it before they uh, all piss off for more money somewhere else. Mm, and that'd be the number one thing, especially when they say we've got salary cap issues. When you've got, I think it's a bit overhyped, but you've got clubs like Richmond where. Stars like Jack Rill will say, I'll take a pay cut or I'll stay on the same. And like, yeah, he's knocking back 50 or 60 grand. It's not like he's knocking back 300,000. Yeah. But they're still doing it. So they're still, they're still thinking slightly about others before they think just about themselves. And yeah, that's what we want to see the Giants and even the Gold Coast doing in the future. And the Gold Coast is probably the big one. That's probably for another day. But when you've got yeah, leadership positions and captains walking out for the, for the sake of their own careers and thinking, not thinking about, oh, can I build something here? That's a bit scary for that club. Barreled Spice. Now, I've got some Barreled Spice to bring on, but I'll we'll always let off with, with you, the main man. What are you bringing to the listeners this week? I saw the, the talk about the extended goal square and the 666 and all that stuff. So, I think we've spoken about it it's probably about the fifth time this year. So, attendances are up. You know, everything's up. If they, can, if they can keep a record on how many people are streaming the game on devices, that would be through the roof. All those things are great. Memberships, right? Everything's up. But the AFL still wants to change the game. They've got all this study, everything, you know, all these research, all this about you know the new rule changes. Well, how come they haven't made that public yet? But to top it all off, the uh, CEO of Channel 7 comes out and goes, yes, I want to make sure that AFL is prettier to watch. So who does the AFL actually... Care about. Care about. Does it care about Channel 7, who are obviously paying the money, and Foxtel... Or they care about the actual public, the people that give them that money. Because let's be honest, if we didn't watch the game, they wouldn't be getting these TV right deals and they wouldn't be getting you know people turning up. They wouldn't be getting all this membership money. So if they listen to the actual people that care about, you know, they should be caring about more often, which is the fans, there's no need to touch the game. Just let it go. It's fine. It'll keep evolving. But if you then start, you know, giving in to Channel 7 and Foxtel and 10 and 9 or whatever else, whoever else it is, change the game and watch, make it more viewable well I'll tell you what it's not going to help because people are watching I was watching cricket yesterday on my phone I was watching cricket yesterday on my t- on my tablet not on the TV why because I've got Foxtel now I can sit in my room and watch it I can sit on the train and watch it I can do those things hmm. same with footy I'm going out tomorrow night I'm going to be watching the footy on my phone Collingwood's playing I'll be watching it on my phone so just relax and just Leave the freaking game alone. I'm sick of it. Like, that 18 meter goal square looks ridiculous. So, I think since 2000, they've had, like, on average, two rule changes a year, either significant or alterations to rule interpretations. Yeah. And it's had no impact, no significant impact 
on the things I want to try and control. So it's like stoppages, number of ball-ups and throw-ins. Uh, scoring has stayed basically the same. And when they say scoring's dropped at an all-time low, it's six points a game. Yeah. It's one goal a game. Yeah. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't notice it. No. And you don't notice it. And if anything, more eyeballs are watching. People are watching more highlights. Players are more athletic. Players are more spectacular. We've got... We've had bicycle kicks this year. We've had upside-down kicks, kicks out of mid-air. We've had guys chase down and run down. We've got guys who are seven feet tall who can still kick. Like the thing is amazing. It's probably the most diverse set of players' skill sets in the world in terms of sport. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. They you know they want to get rid of congestion, but they got rid of the third and up rule, mm. which clear congestion. Mm. It's brought Ruckman back in the game, which is great. But, yeah, it just... I actually got rid of the um, hands in the back rule, yeah. which is fantastic. It's probably the best rule change they've made in since I can remember so in the last 32 years it just 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 leave it alone like seriously just relax chill out because this is McLaughlin this is going to be what you remember for stuffing the game ruining mm-hmm. the game so killing AFLW and uh, ruining men's game yeah exactly so just leave things alone mate on that I'm going to completely contradict us here by saying we should make one massive change and that is to the fixture yeah so we've said this year and we've had a few people arc up Shout-outs to Hawk fans who came at me on, on Facebook when I said that Hawthorne didn't deserve to be in the top four because they had a light run into the, into the finals. And lo and behold, they went out in straight sets. And then I thought to myself, oh, this is getting pretty common. So under the current funnel system, which we've had since 2000, seven teams have gone out in straight sets. And they are Port Adelaide in 2001, they finished third. Yep. West Coast in 2007, they also finished third. And then in the last five years, we've had five teams go out in straight sets. So that's been Geelong, Fremantle in 2014, they finished third and fourth. Sydney, who finished fourth in 2015, and then Hawthorne twice in 2016, they finished third, and this year when they finished fourth. So why the sudden change in 2015? Well, in 2014, we introduced this new weighted system where you get chunked into the groups of six at the end of the season, and then that's how we work out the new fixture for the new year. Except, it's that if not even that's even. So, if you finish in the middle six, and the middle six is the is the one I'm concerned about because it's the one that gives a freebie top four place to a team that doesn't deserve it, and it gives you teams that probably sneak into the eight that don't really deserve it either, in in my opinion. And so you get yeah in that in that last five weeks you can play two top two top six teams and three middle six teams, or you can play one top six team, three middle six teams, and one bottom six team, and there's probably four different options there for those six teams, and whatever whoever gets the freest run makes the finals we saw that this year yeah. Geelong they played the bottom two sides at home and won both games by 100 points got into the 8 by percentage yep. Essendon misses out because they have to play uh, Richmond and Collingwood and, Collingwood yeah. and, and, and Hawthorne on the run home and we see that even with the top four teams like Hawthorne and Collingwood had far easier runs home than say GWS yeah and then we're seeing the result is we get these they get these knockouts. So this year the teams that finish top two they're never they're never ever an issue because the top two teams will always be the best teams. That's been proven. We've never had a top two team get knocked out in straight sets. But then the teams that had significantly easier yeah easier schedules: Geelong, Sydney, Collingwood. Collingwood's stacking up and credit to them. But Sydney and Geelong, really you could you could say that teams like Essendon, North, and Adelaide would have had a equal shake or a better shake at winning at least one final. Well, you know what's happening next year, don't you? Or what's proposed to be happening next year? Is? A wild card playoff. Yes, 17 and 5, which I wouldn't mind seeing. So that's how I'd set it up. You, you play... So there's three options, really. The best option, 
the easiest option, the one that makes the best sense. Let's go and follow the Americans. We love following the Americans in the AFL. Yep. We have 17 games. Yep. One, play everyone once. Play everyone once. And we have a four-week final. And we have a 22-week round. We, yep. said, we had that before. Yep. We said that in back, back in the old days. Yep. It's enough footy. Yep. We have these lull. We, we, we went through a lull. Proper enough, enough. Went through a lull in the middle of the season. We're like, these games don't matter. Well, we even bet. And it's one game. That's all you need. One game per team. And the funnels. Pure. Fair. Reasonable. Makes perfect sense. Will we get it? Probably not, because we need TV rights. Other option, we play everyone twice. Well, now the season's seven weeks longer. And, and players, players are not going to last. And Paddy Dangerfield won't like that. And Paddy Dangerfield's workloads, you can't handle that. Not enough time for Instagram. Or we do the 17 and 5, which is play each other once, and then the top six play each other. The middle six play each other for the wild card. The bottom six play each other in what I call Tankapalooza. And to spice things up, you don't give away a free draft pick for the winner of that micro-tournament, but you give them a salary cap allowance. So when teams like Gold Coast are losing players because they want to play for good clubs, you go, no, because you won this micro-tournament, here's an extra million bucks to try and keep those players, and then that's your reward for, for not tanking at the end of the year. It's crazy. It probably will never happen. That's why it's a bit of God I spice, but it makes much more sense than gifting teams because this final series has been trash. The average winning margin has been 27 points. Well, ma- four goals. Well, imagine if Port had have not stunk it up. They, they would have made it. They would have made it? And it would have been out first week smashed. Yeah. Well, they, it, to be honest, Port should have finished fourth. Yeah. With that run home, at, at all the home games as well, if they had you know, played to their Potential. supposable talent, yeah. they would have finished where Hawthorne was. And Hawthorne would have probably pushed along out. And, yeah. It's... Yeah, the the fixture isn't right with, and again, it's something that everyone knows. But there's so many formers going to the fixture. You got obviously your blockbuster games, so hmm. your Anzac Day, your um, Queen's Birthday, uh, the Geelong and Hawthorne on Easter Monday, all those things. They got to take into account. You, they've got to obviously cash in on the Collingwood, Richmond, Essen, Carlton sort of games. The, the obviously we just spoke about Hawthorne, Geelong, and now Melbourne, Geelong starting to become a bit of a, a thing. Rivalry. Yep. You got you got your uh, showdowns, your derbies. So there's so many things to take into account in the fixture, but yeah, I've always believed that it should just be one, everyone plays each other once. So at the moment, it's 18 games, you, just, you, have, you know, have a buy, two teams have a buy a week, or let's say have two buys throughout the year. And you play for everyone once, it's 18 weeks, and then you have your, your top eight, then you have that week off, and instead of having, uh, you know, your, your week off for finals, you have nine versus 10 for a wild card. And just change around the final system a bit. Maybe have five weeks finals, and yeah, you know, it works. And you know, there's lots of um, competitions around that play five or seventeen finals. So why can't it work in the AFL? And yeah, you get to get 23, 24 weeks. Have like a Pro Bowl sort of thing as well. I know it's you know something the AFL doesn't want to do, or the team, the clubs actually don't want to do, but. They do it in American football and in, in basketball and stuff like that. Just, it's just a shootout. Just let them do that. Mm. And then people will get their free-flowing footy. Yeah, unfortunately, we're stuck with this, you know, fixturing that isn't probably fair. And it helps the teams, that are, you know, like I said, in the middle of the middle of the table. Who, if they get one or two good players, they can, you know, and have a good run home and injury-free, they can have give it a real shake. And that's, I think the last two years, the team's won the players come from 13th. Mm, correct. Because they got such an easy draw. So, yeah, anyway, it's... Might be this year, though, because Richmond had one of the hardest draws, obviously, because they won the premiership, and they're, they're about to go back-to-back. Back. Yeah. Back 
Friday night blockbuster, preliminary final, old foes, the two biggest clubs in the competition are meeting in a final for the first time in 38 years. Last time that happened was the 1980 grand final. And uh, what was the result there, Baz? We got flogged. You got flogged. You lost by 81 points. This one's to be even bigger than that. They are predicting a potential 100,000 people. Sellout crowd. Absolutely huge. So the odds are, and obviously makes perfect sense, Richmond are $1.38 favourites. Collingwood, $3.25 outsiders. The line here, 16.5. And the over-under, 160 points. They've met twice already this year. The script was exactly the same. Uh, Richmond winning by about four goals each time after Collingwood hung on for about three quarters and then they just got ground out of the game. So the big question here, Baz, is that can the Pies finally play four quarters against Richmond? Uh, no. I reckon we'll be with you to half time, probably you know, two or three goals, and then probably we'll still with you to about three-quarter time, probably about four goals, and in the end we'll lose by about 30 to 40 points. Just not good enough. Uh, yeah, it's definitely got midfield depth, definitely got forward depth, but our back line is an issue. Uh, you know, we came to the injuries and I've had a few go down and I, I just think we're, we're probably a year or two off. We're still young, still developing. And I, I was, you know, probably luck another forward to go with Cox. You know, the guy's been great, don't get me wrong, but we'd, we'd probably need another key forward. So it's a bit strange. I probably would have almost played Reed. If he was fit, which I say he, say he is, but it's pretty hard to bring in a player mm. who hasn't played for what, you know, 12, 13 weeks or however long it is. I just reckon we, we missed that one little, probably at each end almost, that key position player. Because, you know, we've got a very makeshift back line, very, uh, not makeshift four line, but it kind of is. I mean, you, you put Elliot, you know, Elliot's out, uh, Reed's out. I, mean, I know Darcy Moore's played back, but he's out. There's a few other players missing. You look through it and go, full strength, we're pretty. Pretty handy. Pretty yeah. handy. So I was actually thinking about today, how would you fit Elliot and those sorts of players in? Darcy Moore, May, Dunn, Scharenberg. There's a lot of players still to come back next season. Anyway, uh, on Richmond's side, I think no change. What's your take on uh, Dusty Gate? Oh, it's just a big beat up. Like, yeah, he's obviously been injured, probably sore knee, whatever, but so many players do that every week, but just because it's finals and it's Richmond. And it probably hasn't helped because, so Melbourne and Collingwood have opened up the doors media to do what you want come in and do what you want as Richmond uh, have been very it's a bit like Hawthorne last week just leave us alone close trainings everything just in, in-house in-house and I, actually a part of me doesn't mind it but a part of me does think it stinks a bit like there should the AFL should be open like you know you you, you follow NFL you follow hmm. sports it's all open you know, I know this year for a fact that when you watch the cricket there'll be lots of player interviews there'll be very much player base of like just they'll be walking in the change room interviewing players while the game's going kind of thing that's how it's going to be that's how it should be in AFL like they're getting paid a lot of money and they should and they're getting paid because of that they're, yeah, getting, exactly. paid, they're getting paid because the because enough enough's watch and they want to know how's Dusty feeling at, on a Wednesday yeah. and if you want to get paid you know a million dollars a year Dusty you're going to have to tell the people how you feel yeah the, the obvious uh, match up in this is obviously the midfield so Grundy should have a, should beat Nank in Iraq but so on that He'll beat Nank in the rack, but will the Collingwood midfield capitalise that in terms of clearances? That's so in those two, two, like, two games, yeah. Richmond have won the clearances in both games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've, they've smashed probably in periods of the second game when, when uh, Nank went off and it was great. We definitely had momentum and won a lot around the, 
stoppages but when yeah Nank was on he was able to at least nullify you know that that tap not make it to a clear advantage so it's a me battle of the midfield for death like yeah no doubt about it and we are a better clearance team throughout throughout seasons around stoppages uh, center clearances all that we are a better team we are, we do dispose uh, have a higher disposal we like the handball through traffic a bit more as you guys just like to get it forward and then create that pressure and make sure we dump kick down the line but I think a lot of it, yeah. I reckon if even if the midfield breaks fifty-fifty, it's going to come down to whose forward line's more dangerous. And you look at the backline matchups, and I think you know everyone's talking about Grimes going to go. I'd, I'd have you know Grimes probably going to Stephenson because I think he can probably be a bit more influential off the ball. Off yeah. the ball with Stephenson, like he can probably peel off a bit more and intercept. I reckon Rance would just go to Cox, and because again, Cox can probably lose him a bit, a bit like Mitch McGovern did the other week, and it let. I think it was Barassi then rolled over onto Cox when the ball was coming in, and yeah, I just have I'd have uh, Asprey on to go because I think I think you can go with him. You know, he, obviously, the go is pretty quick, but I think you can go with him there, and you'll be able to match him in the air. On the ground, it's probably a bit of a different story, but I don't think many defenders, probably apart from Grimes, can go with him on the ground. But I'd start with Asprey then if he does get on top, flip over to Grimes. But I think your four line is a lot more dangerous to our. Your potential matchups, yeah. yeah. Like Greenwood will probably go with Martin in the midfield, but if he goes forward, he's, I don't want Greenwood. I don't want Langdon or, or Maynard to go with him because they could probably you know, not many people can go with him one on one in a in a wrestle. But it's up to the you know, those defenders also not to get caught in a wrestle with him. Not just take a step off and run and jump at the footy and compete that way. But I think that your back line's better than ours, and your back line matches up pretty well with our four line. So that's where I think it's gonna be hard harder for us. We haven't really scored a lot the last few weeks either. No. So I think going on that, you know, you're going to make it hard for us to score. It's going to be a low-scoring game, but I still think you're going to be a five, six, seven-goal better side than us. And uh, you'll be going back-to-back. Fair enough. So I've got some fast facts based on prelims, just statistical things from the history of the game. So since, again, this final system in 2000 has been 36 prelims, when the minor premier is the home team, They've only lost once. So the, the minor premier as a home team has won 12 out of 13 games. The only loss was Fremantle versus uh, Hawthorne in 2015. So uh, more often than not, the home team wins this game. And when the minor premier is the home team, 7 out of 13 games have been decided by more than 6 goals. Yeah. So uh, blowouts are a huge potential in, this, in, this, in prelims in general, which we'll get to in the next game as well. So based on that, Baz... Wealth of knowledge, Mr. Funnels. How are we finding our money this week? I reckon Richmond Align is a Monty. Um, three goals, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's ninety. I reckon even 30. So 30 and a half. You pick your own line, it's about 260. Uh, Collingwood to score between 61 and 75 because yeah, it's probably been, I think it's roughly been our average score the last few weeks. And I think in finals footy again, it could be about that about that score. Um Caddy most goals and Caddy first goal. There you go. I reckon it's be very. It'll be like I said, it'll be tight for a while, but um, around about midway through the third quarter, you'll probably put the game on ice. Like it'll probably be you know three or four goals for most of the game. You know maybe that thirteen to twenty four points half time spread will be a good one, and then yeah, um, thirty to thirty nine or maybe forty to forty nine in the in the game. T- um, Spread so that you can get, you can do select margins within nine points or ten points, whichever that, that is. So yeah, I'll be going yeah 30, 39, 40, 49. You'll probably be able to find you know, around eight, nine bucks. So you can probably you know, have a bit of a play around with that. But 
yeah, unfortunately for Collingwood, our season ends here and we, uh, yeah. Come back bigger and stronger next bigger. year? Yeah, definitely. Fair enough. Do you think the game will be alive at three-quarter time? Nah, I reckon it'll be it'll probably about five, four or five goals and yeah, I mean, we can, you can dream, but you're not really coming back from there in a final. Fair unless, enough. Unless a team... Because the last two times you played Richmond, the game has definitely been alive at three-quarter time. And then the the Monty of all bets, the Richmond to win the fourth by the line, yeah. gets up. But this final series, Richmond have killed teams off in the third quarter and destroyed that bet. So I'm hesitant to go with the Richmond to win the fourth because it might be over at three-quarter time. On to the Saturday 3.20 game. Thoughts on that, Baz, first off? Should this be a night game? So is it Saturday 3.20? Yes. So because, oh, because the better. fixture the fixture gate we had, you guys, Richmond and Collingwood should be the Saturday night game. Yeah. Due to rest and how it all works and then who plays who in the granny and when we played last and blah, blah, blah. But instead of doing that, I wanted to have the Richmond game on a Friday night because apparently that's more important. Eyeballs, TV ratings, whatever. So then to fit in the travel, so if either team has to go to Melbourne or get back to Melbourne... They have to play this game at 3.20, which is a 1.20 kickoff in Western Australia. They're pretty pissed off because that's pretty average time to go for finals footy. Definitely. Uh, yeah, shouldn't happen. But uh, that's the AFL for you. Just they don't, they don't think of anything else other than what Channel 7 wants. And uh, what Channel 7 wants, Channel 7 gets. All right, 3.20 Saturday. West Coast are $1.80 favourites. That's cool. almost evens. That's awesome. This thing is ridiculous. Yeah. This is going to make us so much money. Melbourne, $2.05. Outsiders. The line here is a measly three points. The over-under, 171. And they are, of course, playing at Optus Stadium. Forget about Mayweather Pacquiao. Forget about Triple G versus Canelo. Or even McGregor versus Diaz. This is Hell in a Cage. This is the biggest revenge match of the year. With a cage is a domain stadium surrounded by one of the rowdiest crowds in the business. Last time they met, of course, was round 22. Melbourne won by 17 points. They played a West Coast team without JK, without Jack Darling, who was gone in the first 10 minutes with a concussion. It was a very memorable win for the Demons who confirmed their place in the finals for the first time in 12 years and made us, the what are the odds, haters, look like a bunch of hating fools. But Baz, was round 22 an aberration or the start of a demon's dynasty? Uh, I think it was just an aberration for... So Hawthorne had more inside 50s last week. Yeah. And you go back to that round where Melbourne played West Coast. Yes. And Melbourne got off to a good start. They did. Know, they, they jumped them. They jumped them a bit. But they still only you know, kept a few goal lead at most main breaks. Now, that game, that, that was pretty even inside 50. They just had less, there was five or six, maybe seven less inside 50 in Melbourne. But they had no Darling. They had no Kennedy. Uh, they were relying on their smalls to get the job done. And it probably suited uh, Melbourne's defence a bit. But they still leaked, you know, 90 to 100 points off the top of my head. We know that Melbourne's defence likes to leak goals. We do. The midfield, Melbourne have a better midfield, no doubt about it. Probably better Ruckman. Going forward, I think West Coast match up pretty well on them. Uh, they've got lots of intercept markers and, I mean, Melbourne's chaos sort of style, dump kick, you know, they, they do move the ball quite well. They rely heavily on Salem. So watch Salem get tagged, you know, good luck to Melbourne. Uh, the midfield is going to rely on a lot of grunt work. For me, I just think defensively is where Melbourne are going to get caught out. 
So they they have Frost and uh, McDonald after you know, they got to take on two of the probably better key size forwards in the game. We saw them against Collingwood. They came into the game and you know, took the game away from us. They got some real silk, some real speed as well. West Coast with the with you know um, Ryan, you know Jetta, uh, Rioli pushes up and turns players around. You know, so they got some speed up there. Yo's the massive one for me. If Yo has a big game, so they were talking about it on the other night on the couch. Who would you tag? Shui or Yo? If I was uh, Goodwin, I'd be on Yo because he's a barometer. He's a player that can get step. He's a, such a big player. He's very good at contested footy. He can go anywhere in the ground, and that's probably the only thing that stops him from t- going to Harms because Harms will have to go with him. But Yo might just go. I'm going to sit across half back, or I'm going to go forward. And just a bit like Dusty. Yeah. Because he's, he's a big... If he played in Melbourne, he'd probably have the same profile as like a Dusty already going out because mm. he's that good a player. As then Shuey, you know, he's a speed, he's a bloke that breaks away from the packs and you know, gives him that push forward. But yeah, I think... For me, I just think West Coast are too strong at that ground with their four line. And if they get, you know, 50 inside 50s, they'll probably score... You know, at a high rate and Melbourne have to make the most and like I said earlier I think Melbourne showed last week their lack of com- composure with the footy and I think that's probably why uh, Fitch has been dropped you know there's probably three or four instances in last week where the ball was in their forward, uh, in their defensive 50 for a while and he took a mark and played on really quick or he, he got the footy and just panic kicked it out and you know Gorn did it as well where he just booted off the ground you know mm. there's no need to so there's a definitely a bit of they felt the pressure, even though they were bringing the pressure. And Hawthorne were really good as they were against Richmond, you know, for the first half. I was, and West Coast do have the foot skills and are able to cut up teams with that who yeah. play that style. And they've done it to Richmond early in the year, and they've done it to a few other teams. They did it to us in the MCG. So hmm. I just think they're a better team, and I think they're going to put them away. And I have a feeling that once they get five or six up or four or five goals up, that it's just going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, and Melbourne will just be struggling to, and probably pitch the, all the everything that's been happening will probably just catch up yeah. to them because yeah. they've been they've been riding this this whole wave emotionally a bit like Collingwood as well I suppose the same thing can happen they've been riding it emotionally been opening it about it and you know taking it for what it is and stuff but once it starts going wrong it can quickly fall over mentally so yeah. I, I reckon I reckon West Coast might uh do a little number on the D's here. And I've said it for the last two weeks that this will happen. Yep. So the stats back up here as well. I think West Coast's ability to play tempo footy is the key here. So they are they have the highest kick to handball ratio of anyone in the competition. Yep. And so by doing that, it's twofold. So I don't think Melbourne have grunt and they have explo- explosiveness from the from the midfield contest and from the source. They don't have raw pace though either as a nagging forward. Like, they don't have the frontal pressure of a Richmond yeah. or a Collingwood to stop West Coast from, from switching, and they go really wide. So Hawthorne last week were quite narrow. They're quite direct, even though they still are a kick-mark team. Whereas West Coast are a kick-mark team, but they spread because they have that outside pace. Yeah. So if they do that to Melbourne, I think they get through, and, they, and yeah, Melbourne will leak goals. And then I don't think that Melbourne also have the frontal pressure to keep the ball inside that 50 as well. well we so they can't, they can't stop the switch. Yeah. They can't keep the ball in. So it's going to be pretty hard for them to... It's going to be a shootout, and I think West Coast is going to shoot out. Yeah. The other thing is that, again, back to the fast facts of prelims, of the 36 prelims under the current final system, only six have involved away teams that were placed outside the top four. Of that, only one was a winner. Western Bulldogs. Western Bulldogs versus GWS, which was 4v7, not 2v5. Yeah. 
The average prelim margin is 32 points. 66% of prelims are decided by more than four goals, and 33 decided by more than 40 points. So, if you use those as your odds predictors, $3.50 is 29%. We're getting 66%. So, that's massive overs we're getting for... A, for a four for a four goal win, yeah. and for forty plus we get six dollars fifty, which suggests fifteen percent. That happens double that time. Yeah. So value here, you could take you could take West Coast at any line this week, and you are getting a massive edge. Well, two and a half points. Take that. Uh, West Coast by forty plus. Six dollars fifty. Take that. Uh, West Coast at half time twenty five to thirty six, which is nine bucks, and. Uh, Melbourne to score between same as Collingwood between sixty one and seventy five points, which is three dollars seventy five. Yeah, and uh, Kennedy and Darling to you know, have good games, but uh, one really Willie Rioli to kick the most goals in first goal. I reckon he could uh, he could be a bit of Rioli factor. Yeah, not X factor, Rioli factor. Yes, yes, yes. a bit like in the Collingwood Richmond game, there might be a bit of Rioli factor. Oh, nice! So, a little bit of sprinkling of the salt bay there yeah. to finish off that preview. <laughs> For the second last time this season, you've made it to the money-making stage of the pod, our feature bets for the preliminary final weekend. Our best bet, Friday night, Richmond versus Collingwood. Richmond to cover the line of 17.5 is paying you $1.92. And even Baz, the biggest Collingwood man out, thinks that is an absolute Monty. Saturday afternoon, West Coast to cover their line of the measly 2.5 is an absolute moral. Otherwise, we will have a lot of apologies to make to Melbourne fans out there. Our value bet, Barrel's very keen on this. He reckons that teams that lose funnels lose in this bracket. He has Collingwood to score between 61 and 75 points, paying a quite valuable $2.88. And our roughie is West Coast to have a significant margin at halftime. They should lead at the main break by 25 to 36, paying a significant $9. We've got two multis for you. The first is the uh, Losers Quinella. Melbourne's a score between 61 and 75 points, and Collingwood's a score between 61 and 75 points is paying a very tasty $10.80. And with only two AFL games on this weekend, I thought I'd give you a reason to go across and watch uh, the glorious sport of NRL. I'm giving you a multi-code, multi, that is Richmond to win, West Coast to win, the Storm to win, and the Roosters to win. That's paying a somewhat valuable $6.03. And of course, Brownlow Nights next week, Monday night. Make sure you come down to the pub. We'll be hitting out somewhere in Orong with uh, one of the great nuffies of football, Jacob Juson himself. So come along if you want to do that. And uh, to keep it interesting, we've found some little bit of spice. Sprinkle from a height. Tim Kelly is paying 15 bucks to poll more votes than any other Geelong player, which obviously includes the holy trinity of uh, Danger Ablett Wood. <laughs> whatever whatever combination know. of... Uh, Names that is. Well, he's had a good season. He's had a great season, Tim Kelly. He's probably been. He should win their BNF. Yeah, he should. But whether he polls enough votes is um, but fifteen bucks is pretty good value. Absolutely right value. It makes makes Monday night interesting. All right. Well, hopefully we survive the weekend and survive the apocalypse that's coming to Melbourne, and uh, we'll come back to you for a massive grand final preview and hopefully back to back Richmond Flats. <laughs>